Thanks for checking out the Church RC podcast today. If you're new to the Church RC or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thechurchrc.com. Or we'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the Church RC app, available for free wherever you download your apps. Greatest privilege of my life I've ever had is to stand and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was that which set me free at the age of 17. Lost, dying, going to hell, living like hell. God came to me, offered himself to me, and I've never been the same since. So blame him if you don't enjoy what you're going to hear today because he's the one that set this in, 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 I guess, in the process because I'm still going through process. But I always like to preface when I talk, there's a story I like to tell because it, it kind of conveys the, what you're going to be dealing with this morning. They're, you know, they're making all kinds of medical advancements nowadays. And, you know, this guy, he was struggling and, man, he, he heard about this clinic he could go to and he could get some added brain power. So he went in and he, he met the secretary at the front desk and he was just asking for some information. And he goes, he says, you know, I just kind of like to know what you got to offer. And the lady says, well, let me see. I'll pull out this list here. You know, you can look here. You can get an ounce of doctor's brains for $20. You get an ounce of engineer's brains for $30. Coach's brains will cost you $1,000 an ounce. He was stunned. Absolutely stunned. He stood there for a minute. He was thinking, trying to process that. And he said, she asked me, he said, sir, do you have a question? He said, yes, ma'am. I, I don't quite understand why, you know, doctors' brains are $20 an ounce and engineers are $30 and coaches are $1,000 an ounce. So, yes, sir, that's easy because that takes so many more coaches to get get an ounce of brains. So that's what you're dealing with this morning. I'm going to, you know, I'd like to share with you this morning a little bit about vision. But, you know, a thing that I've run into through in life as I've lived and processed life, worked in the public school situation for about 40 some odd years, whatever, give or take a few years. You know, I found one thing that people always seem to limit themselves because religion, culture, society always seeks to convey to you that, you know, you just, you just don't measure up. You're, you, you know, you really, you know, you really got limitations in your life. There's no way God, the God of the universe would have the ability to use someone like you, but I'd like to lay all that to rest right now because in my life, I've kind of taken a note of people that, that are in the Bible that God used greatly. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about as culture looks at them, what's their problem? Noah, oh Noah, you everybody remember Noah? Building an ark, you know, like 120 years. He was a drunk. Abraham, well, his problem was that he waited too late in life to have kids. You know, he was too old. Then you had Isaac who was a well, he's constantly daydreaming. That's about all he did. He couldn't process anything, put it on paper. Just daydreaming all the time. Jacob, he was a habitual liar. Then you came on Leah. She was ugly as sin because they had to put her in the tent in the dark. You understand what I'm saying? Then you had Joseph. Well, he was constantly abused by his brothers and everybody else in life. You know, you ever been sold into slavery by your own kinfolk? Okay, then you go into Moses. Moses. He's going to lead the people out of Egypt. Yeah, he couldn't even talk straight. He stuttered all the time. Then you had Gideon. Gideon, he was grinding grain, but he wasn't doing it above ground on a platform where the wind would blow the chaff off. He was underground because you, you understand that he was scared. He was afraid. Then you had Samson. Well, he was a womanizer. He liked women. Any men in the house have that problem? Okay, then you Rahab. Rahab, she was a prostitute. 
Then you had Jeremiah and Timothy. They were constantly told they were too young. Then you had David. What was he? He was an adulterer and a murderer. God couldn't certainly use him. Elijah, he was suicidal. He was thinking about killing himself all the time. Then you had Jonah. When God told him what he wanted him to do, he took off and ran, buddy. It took a giant fish swallowing him to get him back on course. Then you had Naomi. Well, she was a widow. What could a widow do? You know what I'm saying? Then you also go over here and you got Job. Job was highly successful. He's everything the world looks at. It. Man, that's the guy I want to be like. And all of a sudden, devastation came his way. He lost everything, including his family and all. No way God could use a man like that. And then John the Baptist, he was one of these crazy guys that lived on that side of town, and he was constantly eating all kinds of bugs. <laughs> then you had Peter. Peter, you know, he's that guy that, was, that told Jesus he would never deny him. Then when he came to that critical moment, what did Peter do? He denied him three times. Right, come on. Denied he ever knew him, and uh, he, he used Chuck King language. He kind of was profane in doing so. Then you had the disciples. They go with him. He calls those innermost circle. You, you guys, listen, it's a critical moment. You guys pray here. I've got to go off alone and pray here over the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes back, finds them asleep. You know, what qualifies them? Martha, she worried about everything. I mean, everything. She wor- was a constant worry. The Samaritan woman, well, good grief. Jesus took time to go across in Samaria. See the Samaritan woman at the well? Well, she certainly is not qualified to serve God in any way from passion because she's been married four or five times and was living with the guy she wasn't even married to. Surely God couldn't use her. And Zacchaeus, well, to wrap it all up, Zacchaeus, he was runt. He had to climb a tree to be able to even see Jesus. You know, what, what could he do? I want to eliminate all those things the world's told you that you can't be used by God. I want to start right there this morning. God's got a vision for your life. God's got a purpose for your life. If God can use me, he can use anybody that's walking the face of the earth. But one of the biggest problems we have in this world is that in the world that we live in, we live in a culture and a world that's continually trying to beat us down, hold us back, restrict us, put boundaries on our life. The wealthiest spot on the planet, folks, the wealthiest spot on the planet is not the diamond mines of South Africa. It's not the, fee, the gold mines of, of Saudi Arabia or Africa, silver mines of uh, Soviet Union. It's not the oil fields of Saudi Arabia, or Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq. I found the most valuable pieces of land in the world are located in every community I drive through, every community I visit. It's in your local graveyard. You see, there's, well, that's where dreams never came to pass. They're buried there. Songs that were meant to be written were never sung. Books that were never written because they just never had the courage or the time to take, take advantage of it. There's paintings that have never become reality buried there. Vengeance that never were invented buried there. Plans that never went beyond the drawing board of that person's own mind. And purposes that were never fulfilled because visions were never followed. Our graveyards are filled with potential that remains just that potential. You know, one of the biggest challenges I had as a coach was to bring the potential I saw in each youngster I dealt with, try to bring that out. Now, some had more than others. The Bible covers that. covers that. You know, Jesus uh, told the story of the parable of the guy that, you know, he gave one servant five talents, another three talents, another one, one talent. Say, when I come back, I want, you know, take care of this. Do something with it, you know. I won't go into that because that's nearly right. not really where I'm going this morning. But the fact of the matter, we're all got an ability of some kind. Some are better football players than others. Some are better basketball players. Some better artists. Some better singers. 
I've always envied these people on the platform. They can sing. I've got a great voice. My music teacher in junior high told me, Chuck, you've got a tremendous voice. You just tear it up getting it out. <laughs> you know, it, it was written over 2,000 years ago in Proverbs 29, 11, where there is no vision of people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The person that follows after what God has said and, and, and the plan that he has for your life, guys. Here's a perfect example. 17, my father died when I was 14. I had five younger sisters. My mother was a school teacher. We went from having something to being dirt poor overnight. I got angry at God. I was hot. So for three and a half years, I lived like it until Jesus revealed to me who he really was. You know, in that verse, it talks about there, where there is no vision, people perish. When I looked that term perish up, I found out that it says, it's like a big banquet table set out and it's prepared for a feast. Nobody shows up. What do you have to do with food when nobody shows up to consume and take part of what that which you was prepared for? You have to take it and you throw it away. Right. You see, I've run through life. I've dealt with thousands upon kids and parents and, and uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff. And so often I've left meetings, situations, all that greed because I saw wasted food, wasted lives, a life with no vision, no purpose. We're just drifting. And in my heart of hearts, I could look in that child. I've had young people that basically, they had all the talent in the world. And yet, because they had no vision, they had no impetus, they had no purpose, they couldn't take advantage of that which they were given. They were too affected by the culture around them, the environment they lived in, or whatever that was going on, the racket that was going on in their life, too distracted. And man, that, all I saw was waste. I know it grieves the heart of God to see people that he designed in his image go to waste. But see, we have an enemy that goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom may devour. Understand the enemy goes about as a roaring lion. Yeah, come on. Bible calls him the great deceiver. Yeah. You know, I, I related well to that because I coached all different sports. You know, you understand your opponent's always going to try to create chaos in your plan. When you prepare your kids and you've done all this and you plan and all that, and you go out there, sure enough, every game you go into, your opponent's going to have something. To, they're going to try something different to confuse you. Because in the, in the midst of that chaos, when, if they can get your kids' minds off of the plan and get it on the confusion, you're going to be in disarray and all of a sudden, the plan goes by the wayside and we're in pure panic. Life becomes a pure panic. When the enemy can steal from you your vision, your purpose, the plan that God's for you for life, then all of a sudden chaos sets in. Helen Keller, she's a young lady that grew up, she, she was deaf, she couldn't speak, and she couldn't hear. She made a statement, I wrote it down, I want to share with you this morning. She says, the greatest limitation in life I've found, she was asked by a New York Times reporter, to have sight but have no vision. You see my hand, pine cone. If you can't see it, pine cone. If you're like I am, you're a little aged and your eyes don't go that far, I got a pine cone in my hand. When God looks at a pine cone, you know what he sees? He doesn't just see a pine cone. 
When God created things, he created things to multiply. Everything's multiplying. When when you put man and woman together, he he said, be fruitful and multiply. He wants you to multiply. When God created a pine cone, what he saw was a forest. Because in that pine cone, there's tons of seeds. And if you put it in the right soil with the right environment of sun and water, you know, and giving it process, giving it time, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have a forest. It might take a few years, but you're going to have a forest. You'll see in the plan of God, it's always two things are involved in, in the vision of God for your life. There's going to be faith. You're going to have to believe that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says his word will do, that he looks to perform his word day and night over your life, and that with process, with time, he's going to get you where you were created to be. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I came to Jesus at 17, I didn't see myself standing here talking to you. Thank God I would have retreated. I was a young man that would sit in class, wouldn't say two words. I was just trying. I was on the stay eligible line. I was an athlete. I was trying to stay eligible. Anybody relate to that? I was just trying to stay eligible. God had different plans. God saw in me, he didn't just see a pine cone. He saw a forest. He wants to take your life. Every one of you can go where I can never go. You can touch where I can never touch. You can be what I can never be. God wants to take that. You don't have to be anybody you're not. You just got to let him bring out of you who you are and let him begin to utilize it and put his super, super on your natural. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to see multiplication in your life. Now, it may take a little time. I'm 65 years old. I'm 17. You know, I didn't get here overnight. God's taking me through a process to get me here today to specifically talk to you as an individual about what he wants to do in your life, what he has for you. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is no way that seems right to a man. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. And death there is basically talking about, again, waste. That you reach the end of your time, and what have you done with your life? You've lived it for things that really don't matter. That really, in the end, you know, I, I just did a funeral not here not long ago. You know what? I didn't see a, I didn't see a U-Haul behind that hearse. I didn't see a load of furniture or anything like that. You know, the Egyptians tried that. It didn't work. Now people break in steel and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, there's no U-Hauls when you come to the end of life. And people live their whole life to gain and attain and all that kind of stuff. And uh, gee, didn't really add up to a whole lot. What robs individuals of their vision? Thus, by doing that, robbing them of their purpose in life. I believe there's three things that rob people of their vision, plus their purpose. The first thing is family and friends. Jesse was a boy that was growing up in the backwaters of Appalachia, poor as dirt. Mama died when he was young. Daddy was an alcoholic. His older brother, well, his older brother was brutal on him because Jesse was a little old frail guy, little old skinny guy. Really, really didn't matter a whole lot. And his brother beat up on him daily, dreaded that. Daddy would come on at night drunk, beat him up. Next day, he'd go to school, and he was constantly picked on at school. Hated school. He just couldn't wait till the day he graduated from school. And the day came finally that he worked his way all the way through. He he went out, and he got him a job at a chicken farm. And his job was to pluck the chickens. He was a chicken plucker. That was his job. 
And that's what he did to get through high school. Gets through high school, he signs up. First thing he does, he goes and, and signs up for the service. Why? Because he just had to get out of town. You understand what I'm talking about? He had to get out of the environment. He had to get away from all this. So he used the service to get away. Gets in the service. Jesse really didn't see any purpose in his life. He was drifting. He was just trying to make it, you know, just make it. Had the mentality of getting to the mar. Service, service team to get into discipline, some environment that, you know, basically had something to work toward. But it just so happens, you know, when you have free time to search, you're sitting in the barracks, and the guy starts telling stories about home, this, that, and the other. And Jesse, he just started telling stories out of his life. And, it, and what began to happen is his buddies, they just fall out on the floor. It's just the way Jesse told the story that was hilarious. He could take a real-life situation and just blow you away. His friends often talked about Jesse was the greatest storyteller they'd ever run into. So they finally talked Jesse into, they had a company talent show coming up. So they talked him into doing it. Jesse never done anything like that. They got him up on stage. He stood up on stage. He thought, man, what am I going to do? He's scared to death. So what did Jesse do? He did the only thing he knew to do. He started telling stories. By the end of it, the place was rocking. Just so happened there's a general sitting in the, in the audience. The general takes note of him, comes up to me after the, Deal, he says, listen, son, you're so good, I'm going to put you in the entertainment court. He took him out of his company, water, put him in the entertainment court. And Jesse went all over the world entertaining troops, doing what? Telling stories. Just so happens at one of his events, there happened to be a talent scout in the audience. Talent scout saw Jesse, watched what he did. He came up to him afterwards, gave him a card, said, listen, when you get out of service, son, you find me. Jesse stunned, okay, he took that, put it in his bag, whatever, you know. Sure enough, the day came, he's going to get out of service, found that card. He called that guy. The guy said, yeah, I got something for you. Get out here. Get out here to, out in Hollywood, California. He went to Hollywood, California. The agent said, listen, I got, I got something I want you to go in uh, this Friday. I want you to go interview for it. I think, I think you'd fit the part. So he goes, and sure enough, he gets the part. Well, the rest is history. Jesse becomes noted. He wins award after award. He becomes the most decorated comedian in the history of show business. His name, Jesse, his name was Don Knotts. Or you might know him, if, if you're older like I am, as Barney Fife. The deputy sheriff. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Barney. Anyway, the fact of the matter is, you never know what it is, but I'm going to tell you what God's got for you. You won't have to be anybody that you're not. I am who I am today. I didn't know this was here, but God knew it was in me. God wants to take who you are and give you influence. I was sitting in a stadium in 2008 up in Eugene, Oregon at the Olympic trials. I looked down on the track, and there was my oldest son lined up with the best in America in the 5,000 meters. And my mind went back to a time when he was in the seventh grade. And I was athletic director and head coach there in Sulphur Springs, Texas. And when Lynette and I went to his first football game, he was so excited, he went to his first football game. I watched him play. At the end of the game, I looked at my wife and said, baby, Kyle's not a football player. You know, I may not be a great coach, but I'm just going to tell you, he's not a football player. Don't I love him, but he might be like your fan. He might be a singer. 
He might be a trumpet player, but he's not a football player. Well, so we prepared him and all that, and I was always trying to encourage him, this, that, and the other. And, of course, Kyle himself thought he wanted to be a basketball player. Of course, when you can't jump over two inches off the floor, you have a problem being a basketball player. <laughs> Saw him play basketball, went, whoop, he's not a basketball player either. But I'm not going to break the news to him. I'm going to kind of let him find it out. Well, in the process of things, that seventh grade year, I had one of the junior high coaches call me one day, and I was dealing with a parent situation and all that. And uh, so I took the phone call, and he said, Coach, listen, I found out what Kyle is. I said, what is he, Coach? He says, he's a distance runner. I said, Coach, surely you're a better analyzer of talent than that. Have you seen my family tree? They all look like me, including my sisters. There's not a distance runner. I'll, I'll tell you, there's not a distance runner in our lineage anywhere. Not in her lineage, my lineage. He said, I'm telling you, coach, we, we were running at the end of practice today. He was just, he smoked everybody. Okay, whatever, whatever, coach. Okay, just do your thing. Okay, I just kind of dismissed it. Lo and behold, it came around the first track meet time, and I, again, was dealing with a parent conference. That happens. So I was a little late getting there, so I drive up to the north end of the track. I pull up, and I look out across the track, and they'd already started the, the mile and a half at that age. And I look out there, and gosh, there's a whole group over there running on the far side of the track. And here's Kyle on the near end going down the straightaway all by himself, and my heart sunk to my shoes. I thought, man, they're killing him. They are massacring. So I get out, and I walk down the track, and Coach Philo, one of the junior high coaches said, doing a long job, he said, Coach, did you see Kyle? I said, yeah, and I, I tell you, what I'd seen is that when he got down there by the coaches, he quit, and we don't quit. <laughs> we just flat don't quit, so I walked down there, and I'm fixing to go get a piece of him. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. We don't quit. We get beat, we don't quit. I'm walking down the track. I said, well, Coach Philo, you know, one thing we don't do is quit. And he said, Coach, he didn't quit. He was through. And I stopped, and I, it had to take a second to sink in. I said, what? He said, Coach, he's through. You know, one of the greatest challenges in your life will be your family and your friends. Jesus went to his hometown. What does the word say about him going back to his hometown? The greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth, the most talented individual I've ever read about in my life, the one who could create water. He could take water and make it the best wine they've ever tasted in their life. He can make the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. And he goes back to his hometown, and they say he could no, do no great miracles there. Come on, that's right. And the reason was they knew who he was. Come on. He's that carpenter's son. We'd, they'd watched him work as a carpenter for 30 years. Right. There's nothing special about that dude. Understand, your family and friends can stand against the greatest miracle in your life. They could be the greatest inhibitor to you. Come on. God wants you to break free from that. God wants to set you free to be all you created to be. Second thing is great frustration. Ray lived on the West Coast, lived most of his life. He's in his mid to late 60s, been driving this freeway forever, trying to make businesses work, this, that, and the other. And man, he was frustrated. It just happens, hundreds of times he'd driven by this hamburger joint and he looked out there and there's cores there all the time 
Well, Ray said, gee, I, I, I might as well stop in for a hamburger day. So he pulled in, goes in, sits down, and the, and the young waitress walks up to him and said, sir, can I help you? He says, what's the best thing on the menu? She, she said, ah, I'll tell you what, it's the hamburger, this, that, and the other, and the malt and all this stuff. And she goes and gets ours and brings it to him. He, he loves it. He said, who owns this place? Oh, those two brothers back there in the back. Ray goes back there to those two brothers. He says, God, these guys, these hamburgers are great. I, I can see why it's full all the time. Have you guys ever thought about franchising? The guys looked at each other, franchise, what are you talking about? He explains to them what franchising is. No, sir, we're really not interested in that. We just love doing our hamburger joint. We're happy. So Ray comes back a couple of weeks later with a deal. He works out a franchise deal, all that kind of stuff. You can keep your deal, whatever, but you'll let me take this and all and franchise. Thus started the company you may know of as McDonald's. There's a story by Dr. Viktor Frankl in the man's search for meaning. He talked about his time in the concentration camp in World War II. Frustration could be a powerful force in your life to limit you. There was a block warden that took care of all the prisoners for the Nazis. He was a Jew. He was not well loved, to say the least. That block warden came to Dr. Frankl one morning and said, Listen, sir, I, I had a dream last night and it just, it's bugging me. I know you're a smart man, a learning man. Can you help me with this? And so Dr. Franklin said, oh, tell me about it. He said, listen, I heard this voice. And man, this voice said, ask me something you want to know. I said, when are we going to be set free from all this torment? When are, we going, when are they going to set us free? When are they going to liberate us? And he gave me March 30th. Dr. Franklin said, well, okay. He says, you think that's God? I don't, you know, I can't answer. I don't know. Well, the block ward, he said, hold attitude to the block warden. He was encouraged. He was thankful to this, that, and the other. And sure enough, it comes a long time and it gets around, around March 29th and, or 28th. And all of a sudden he realizes it ain't going to happen. The news that's getting to him, it's not going, liberation's not coming. And all of a sudden his whole countenance changes. March 28th, he starts getting a little sick. On March 29th, he, he starts running a high fever. And this block warden is just, you know, he's delirious. And on March 30th, he dies. Just so happens a few weeks later, they got liberated. The word says that, you know, your heart can grow sick from frustration. Hope deferred makes your heart sick. Understand the enemy's going to try to defer your possibilities. He's going to try to limit you through frustration to keep you from following after what God created you to do. I'm telling you, there's no greater fulfillment than being here with you this morning, doing what God has me doing. Why? Because it's part of my destiny. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes that heart sick. But when the desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. When those things come to my, see, I'm 65 and still rocking. Why? Because that tree of life is in my life. That purpose is being served this morning. I've coached a bunch of ball games. I've coached in all kinds of crowd, had all kinds of neat experiences and all that. And that's fun and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than Jesus. Nothing close. You know, Thomas Edison, he was inventor of the light bulb. And basically they asked him, did you ever get frustrated? You know, over 2,000 times he tried to create this thing. He said, no, no, I never did. He attempted to invent that thing, invent that thing, invent that thing about the 2,000th, whatever time. All of a sudden there's a light bulb. We're here today because of light bulbs. Okay. Last thing, last thing is fear. This is the basis of all things. Understand, God has not come. Jesus didn't come here to give you fear. He didn't come here to fear God. He was an example of God in the flesh. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's what Jesus did. 
He didn't, he, Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn anybody. My whole purpose is set the captive free. Whatever circumstance, situation you're caught in today, God has come to set you free. But understand, one of the strongest things the enemy will use against you is fear. There's a young boy that grew up in the fields of Nebraska, always dreamed of going to, uh, well, basically going and sailing ships. He'd read every book he could get. He got sick of working on that farm, bailing hay and all the other things you do. He had a vision for greater things. His parents began to realize that, and he talked to his daddy about it. Sure enough, when he was 18 years old and he was old enough to go, his daddy gave him what he could financially. The boy went to the coast. He went up and down that coast trying to find, finally found a ship captain that would hire him. He, get out, he got out there on that ship, and for three days, things were great. It was just like he'd read, just like he'd experienced in the books that he'd read, read about. But it just so happens on the third day, the captain came to him and said, listen, son, it's your time. It's your turn in the crow's nest. Look out. He looked up that pole and he went, whoa. He starts climbing it. No options. Captain ordered it. He gets up about halfway and he looks. He looks at the top, see how far it is. He looks down below and it's a long ways down to the deck of that ship. He understood if he went down, ridicule. He climbs up, ultimate fear. He held on for dear life and finally the captain realized what's going on. He sent one of two of his mates up there and they got him down. They put him down and the next port they came into, they gave him a ticket and sent him home. Fear could take away the greatest possibility in your life. All your dreams, all your visions, all you desire. Understand, fear is going to come to your door. Fear is going to tell you what you can't do. I was sitting in a senior English class, Miss Gardner's there. I'd take zeros because I wouldn't stand up in front of my classes. Senior English, you got you know, you got to do a lot of stuff, quoting and all that jazz. I was dreading it. Third floor corner room, I remember it well. Remember the first day in class, she calls me. I said, as far away from her desk in the back corner, because see, I'm on that stay eligible. I'm staying eligible. She goes down the list. She, she calls on my name to recite what we were supposed to learn to recite that day. I said, I don't do that, ma'am. She's a pretty intimidating lady. Understand, she's about 4'11", weighed about 95 pounds. And she had these reading glasses. She looked over the top of it. She just looked at my weight, didn't say a word other than, I'll see you at the end of class, Mr. King. At the end of class, I came up. She said, son, this is Friday, Monday morning before school. Your rear end's going to be in that chair right up there by my desk, and you're going to quote all this to me. Do you understand? I said, yes, ma'am. That Monday morning, I'm sweating bullets. I go in there, I sit down in that chair. She looks me right in the eye and said, okay, now, speak. And I began to quote. I stumbled and stammered, but she helped me get through it. Do you understand by the end of that year, she had me standing. She had me talking to the whole class. She processed me to standing up with people in there. She had kids in there. I didn't know she planted them. She said they're in there doing work. <laughs> then, she'd have me t- then she'd have me stand up and face them. And then she'd have me stand up in front of them. So don't blame me this morning. Blame Miss Gordon. <laughs> That good Christian woman that took the time in one kid and drew out of me my potential. God will bring people in your life. And through those people, he's going to bring the opportunity for you. Wherever your talent lies, you're unique to yourself. Do you understand? 
your DNA. They, oh, I love science because it keeps confirming God's word how unique we are. I'm not an accelerated chimpanzee standing up here this morning talking to you. I'm a unique individual. I'm not here by happenstance. I have a fifth-generation grandfather that fought in the Napoleonic War. He was mortally wounded in battle against Napoleon. He was in the Prussian army. But God got him off that battlefield, and he met a nice-looking young thing, and he ended up thinking, you know, we ought to get married and have kids. I'm standing here today because God oversaw him, kept him safe on the battlefield. He was wounded, but he got him home, got him married. He had kids. And I'm standing here today because God had a plan. Don't think you're an accident. There's too many things your family went through, people had to endure, whatever, to get you here. But understand, the enemy, he's going to try to use fear. He's going to try to use frustration. He's going to try to use family and friends to limit your potential. If I can tell you anything today, God is for you. He's not against you. He's not mad at you, folks. He took all his wrath out on Jesus. He took all his wrath out on Jesus because he knew Jesus could take it. Get through it. set us free it's about freedom today folks freedom to be who you were created to be to be all that God created you to do to see the kingdom of God and the will of God for your life is multiplication not only kids though that's important it's about your workplace it's about the people you interact with your circle of friends God's after you. Like a wild man, he's after you. At the Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If this ministry has blessed you in any way and you'd like to contribute financially, you can go online to thechurchrc.com slash giving. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, send us an email at amen at thechurchrc.com.